The Luminous Mind, Episode 003. First of all, the federal government has come into just local areas, and in order to receive funding from the federal level, there's different things, requirements that are put upon the state. So then those trickle down into the districts and the charter schools. Benjamin Franklin once said, Do not curse the darkness, rather light a candle instead. If you're ready to set your mind on fire, then prepare yourself for the Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's fire starter is near and dear to my heart. I talked about her in our show intro, how she's a great supporter and mentor. She's my personal encourager. She's helped me all through my years of homeschooling and raising my kids. I seek her advice a lot, but she has an amazing story and educational journey of her own. She's my very own sister, so if our voices sound the same, that's why. She's now living in Texas, so let's give her a big yeehaw. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to Chris. I don't know what you say in Texas. What's a better way to introduce you? Say y'all. 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 Y'all meet my sister. Hi, (laughs) y'all. Idahoans have their own weird accent, so I can't make fun of Texans. But anyway, so after that brief summary, do you want to briefly kind of tell us about yourself, kind of what your family dynamic, your hobbies and passions? Sure. Um, I am a mid-40-year-old. (laughs) <laughs> and it's uh yeah hard to believe and i am a mother of three children i have a 20 year old daughter a 17 year old son and a 8 year old daughter and i'm passionate about education it's pretty much since i became a mother has been on the top of my mind so that's a 20 year journey if you count with my oldest daughter there and my hobbies i just like to spend time with my family and i like to see new places i like to go and see other cultures as far as the travel. I like to see different parts of the country. I'm not necessarily into international travel, but I do like to travel in the United States. So We'll get her to Italy sometime. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. So I'm just going to have you start with telling them your educational journey, kind of where you started. And then I told them in the intro that I'm the reason why I've done my direction is basically comes off of what you did. So why don't you go ahead and tell them about that? Well, my journey kind of started when my My first daughter began attending school. I'd always been interested in education and wanting to make sure that my children had the best education, uh, like any parent would. We were living in the Everett, Washington area at the time that my first child entered school. I just remember being really nervous about that with my first child going out into the world and just wanting to make sure that the teachers were awesome and the school had a good reputation and all those things. And it really determined even where we bought our house and, and those types of things. So that's how it all began. And I was fairly content with what I had in the public school area where I lived. And then we moved to Idaho, and it was an opportunity for my my child. She was in third grade at the time, so she went into a new public school. And around that time, I was living in a neighborhood with other moms, you know, with similar age children. And one of the moms came to me and said, have you ever heard about charter schools? And I said, no, I, I really haven't. I mean, I can't say I had never heard about them. I'd heard them here and there as I studied and read about different political movements, and I'd heard the word charter school thrown around, but she said, do you want to see one? So I said, sure. So we went toward a charter school, 
and I was really impressed. I was just really fascinated by this charter school that we toured. I loved the curriculum. I loved the things that they were doing, and it was different than what I thought my daughter's traditional public school. So I thought, great, this is a child, but of course there was a long waiting list for that charter school in the area. So I thought, how can we make all these charter schools? So that began my journey of developing charter schools, and it ended up putting me into the political arena because in order to do that, we needed to change the laws in Idaho regarding charter schools. So I helped work on that front. And then when those changes were made, we were able to start a charter school there. And my first child was able to, and my second child by then, was able to attend that charter school. But as luck would have it, we had to transfer to another area and we needed to leave that charter school. Fortunately, and this is where you come into the story, (laughs) we had helped my sister, Rebecca, in her part of the state. She was also in Idaho, but she was in a different part of the state. And she had also been interested in charter schools at that time. And so we helped her over there with the founding of a charter school. So at the time of our move, we actually moved into the area where that charter school that my sister had originally founded was. And so I was much relieved and grateful and my children attended there and were very happy and content. And And um, your oldest daughter graduated from one. Yes, she did. She graduated from that charter school and my son entered high school in that charter school. Also along the way, I met another person who was interested in starting a charter school. So he was interested in developing a Montessori type charter school. And so I took that knowledge that I had from working on the other charter schools to help him and became the business manager of that charter school. And then my or my third child, my youngest at this point, was ready to start school. And so I enrolled her in the charter school and, and life was good. But at that point, my husband's job changed again. And so it necessitated that we move to Texas. And there are charter schools in Texas and there's lots of charter schools, I come to find out, common to a lot of other charter schools, long waiting lists. And I wasn't really interested in sitting on a waiting list again. And so I thought, hey, my sister's homeschooled. She's done a great job. I think I can do that for my daughter. So that's what I chose to do. I, my youngest daughter, I homeschool. My son, who had been at the charter school and dearly loved it, also came here. He, we talked about the homeschooling him, but he is very passionate about sports, and in order to participate in the sports in Texas, you need to be a student at a public school, and so he opted to finish out his high school years in a traditional public school here in Texas, so that's where he's at. So he's done done the whole gamut of stuff, but kind of (laughs) going back with the the charter schools, you know, in Idaho, like you talked about at the beginning, it was really difficult to even start a charter school. Do you want to talk about that, and then any other problems that you saw that came up with charter schools? schools within the state. You know, we've kind of talked about the whole point of charter schools was to make it so that there was less bureaucracy so that you could move and guide those schools a little easier than the traditional public school. And I wanted to know if you saw any problems that came with charter schools. I actually did. Um, At the time that we became involved in the charter school movement in Idaho, I believe there was five, maybe six charter schools total in the entire state. The charter school actually was a virtual school too. So they weren't even brick and mortar charter schools. That's correct. Yes, there were, I think, maybe four brick and mortar, but then the others were virtual schools there had begun and the online charter schools. But at the time, the charter school law had been in effect for, I think, five years at a time, maybe more. There weren't very many charter schools. And the question was, why? If there's these long waiting lists for charter schools, why wasn't there more charter schools? As I dug a little deeper, I came to find out that, first
first of all, in order to have your charter school approved, the petition approved, you need to go to your local school district and have them okay petition to have a charter school. And that wasn't really in the best interest of the districts. And so a lot of yeah, districts like didn't do that. Yeah, like McDonald's <laughs> if Burger King can open up next door. Exactly. They were threatened by that and they thought it was competition, which it is. So the approval process was really not conducive to having a charter school. And also, if you were to initiate a charter school, there was no chance that your child could attend that charter school to go through the lottery process like any other child. And so there's always that concern that here I may put in a lot of work and then I may not even be able to have my child enrolled in the school. And so part of the changes that were made to the Idaho Charter Law was that they decided to create another authorizing board, which is called the Public Charter School Commission. And they were where you could take petitions to open a charter school, not instead of, but in addition to the local public district there. And so that helped create an environment where it was more conducive to open a charter school, as well as there was a provision that was made that 10% of the overall student body could be the children of founders or and or employees. So that was another thing that was positive and helped the charter schools grow in Idaho. But coming back to your question, <laughs> um, when it first originally started, there was a lot of innovation. That was kind of the idea behind charter schools is to create innovative methods for education to that were different than yeah, right, different that were different than the schools. traditional public schools were doing right. Different things. And so that was kind of the original reason that charter schools were desirable in Idaho. But what was happening is public charter school commission was developed. They had some members on the commission that were from charter schools that were already operating in Idaho. And then they had other members that were from traditional public schools. And the members of that commission, if I'm not mistaken, are selected by the governor of the state. So Yeah, that's how um, it works in Idaho. Yes, okay. That's what I remember. And anyway, so over time, what I've seen is, first of all, the federal government has come into just local areas. And in order to receive funding, from the federal level, there's different things, requirements that are put upon the state. So then those trickle down into the districts and the charter schools. But in addition to that, there's also just the members of the commission. The dynamic there seemed to have changed, and there was a lot of, I don't know, I just remember at the end of my time in the charter schools there in Idaho as a business manager, I just remember all the paperwork and the, the reporting and those things that were just so onerous at the time, and they were developing data systems that we had to put just myriads of information into regarding our students. And it just got to the point that I kind of felt like the bureaucracy was taking over the charter school movement again and making it so that innovation that was originally the vision of charter schools was more and more difficult to accomplish. Well, and especially in it with a method like the Montessori method, and we've kind of talked about that, just you and I together, about how, you know, that's such a different method. Kind of expound upon that. What's the problem with introducing, I mean, that's the whole point of a charter school, to have all these different methods, but then you have the bureaucracy that comes in, and can you exactly. kind of expound upon that and tell us well, why that's a problem. I think it's just difficult for um, innovation to occur because people want to be able to see schools that look alike. I don't know how to describe it, but you're right. The Montessori method is different as well as online education. It's going to look different than what a traditional public school might look like. And as a result, they're going to test differently. You know, they're going to have a different approach to things. And the Montessori method specifically isn't very test oriented at all. As a result, I know that during that petition process, the commission was very interested to know 
what testing methods were going to be used at that charter school to help make sure that they were meeting their benchmarks and goals and those types of things. The founder of that charter school, it was difficult for him to try to find something that would be conducive to the Montessori method, but also give the data that was required by the state. I just remember that being a point of, I wouldn't say conflict, but it was just a, a point where the ideas of the commission versus the ideas of this innovative method of using the Montessori method kind of diverge and come together. Yeah. I don't know how Well, and there. instead of leaving it up to the educator, then right. once again, you have the bureaucracy. Another thing with Montessori that we've kind of talked about before, a true Montessori allows the child to do different things like cooking and stuff like that. But then you end up with a bureaucracy that doesn't allow a child to cook. It was true. So how did the education change? Well, it it had to change. The Montessori method, there's a lot of things that are different. Um, They They learn life skills. That's a very important thing. Yeah, life skills are part of it. And so... Um, in this school in particular, they put kitchen units into the school because cooking is a part of that. Well, of course, the inspector comes through and looks at this kitchen in a classroom. And I remember we had to change out all the stoves because the knobs weren't in the right location and it might be easy for a child to reach those. And I just remember lots of little things that we had to tweak just to even have these kitchens in the classroom, <laughs> you know, to have that experience. And then also with the Montessori method, the children, they kind of go at their own pace. They're supposed to develop a love of learning. That's the focus of the school. Every child develops, you know, time and place. And so the teacher was supposed to be create the environment but be very aware of where children were and when they saw an interest that a child might have in something teacher step in and begin teaching versus having children all learning the same thing at the same time and you know having the teacher leave the classroom the child was that so obviously when you're trying to collect data and you're trying to reach benchmarks and all those things you can see how that method might come into conflict with the traditional method of teaching. And then you end up having to do everything based on an old traditional model that we're all trying right. to get rid of right. and pull ourselves away from. So. Right so it was it was hard to keep that method true and pure if you want to and also keep it public. And have it be part of the public system. Exactly. Okay, so with all of this great background that you've given us, how do you think your paradigm and your philosophy about education has changed over time and with experience? My paradigm changed in the sense that if I want to go to the very beginning, I really, like I said, I was content to just try to find the best school for my child and to send my child to that school. Now I realize that it's really my responsibility to educate my child and yeah, there's great people out there, great schools, great teachers, but in the end, whether my child has a great education or not depends a lot upon me, and I can't always guarantee what's going to be happening in the classroom versus when I'm in charge of the education of my child. I have a little more control on that area, and I don't have to hope that they're learning what they're supposed to be learning and doing what they're supposed to be doing. I can actually control that. No matter where you put your child, if that parent is not involved, their education will suffer because of that. That it's very important for a parent to be involved. Do you oh, agree? absolutely, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I mean, as as a parent of a traditional public school student, I was always in the classroom, volunteering, helping out the best I could, doing things, you know, contributing there in that environment. That was very important to me because I knew if I was involved, I would know what was going on and I could be a part of my child's education. Anyway, same thing with the charter school. Once they were in charter schools, was very involved with that. I was in the classroom with them. So you're right. Any educational method that is chosen by a parent 
they just need to be invested into that. And I and I that. sometimes wonder, like with homeschooling now, I mean, you're seeing you have a huge involvement in it now. And I, I wondered, you know, when you look at test data of homeschooling children, I really think that's why they do so well because their parent is so involved in what they're doing and they know that that's important. That, that's true. I have to say that I noticed that with my 20-year-old, my older children actually joked because I was so involved with the charter school movement in Idaho that they were charter orphans because I was busy and gone a lot <laughs> or they were in tow. And I remember being really concerned about that, wondering if I was taking away anything. And I remember one of the administrators at the charter school said, think of the education your children are getting. They're, they're taking them off to the state house. They're watching you know, all this come into play. Think how much of an impression that has upon them. And it's true. My 20-year-old now, when I talk to her, Education is very important to her because she saw how important it was to her mother. Well, and I loved what your son said a while back, maybe. It's just stuck in my mind that he always felt like there was ever a problem in his life that he could make a change in the world for the better. I'm totally paraphrasing. But just because he saw you doing that, you got involved and you helped make some positive changes in Idaho. And that was a really great mentoring experience for him because he saw you do that. That's true. So, so what what do you think the best advice as far as education goes that you've ever received? Do you have any mentors that have given you some great things that you want to share? I've had so many people that I've interacted with in education that has given me great advice. I guess I'm trying to condense it down into like a phrase or something that I could pass along. But I think, especially as I started into the homeschool method of teaching or teaching from home, that I just remember not to stress about it, that children will learn. And what I had learned during my time at Montessori is that if I create the environment and make opportunities for them to learn, they will do it naturally. And sometimes the push can be worse. You know, right, right. That. Yeah, not to push it. Because that's my, that's my personality, is, uh, as you can tell from <laughs> the whole charter school thing that I was involved with in Idaho, is to push, 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 push. You know, if you see a, a boundary or something, you try to push against it. So I, I'm kind of a pusher that way. And um, I realize that with education, though, especially with your children, they're going to learn because children just naturally want to learn. Yeah, and I mean, we don't they, have to push them. Right. We don't have to don't push have them. To, they're gonna come learn. on, let's walk today. You know, <laughs> Exactly. They're they're naturally curious and rather than trying to push and control and do all those things to let them lead their education process and just to be there for them to guide them along in that process, to be more of a guide rather than, like you said, trying to be the leader there. We'll go to the socialization question. Now that you're homeschooling, do you worry about that? That will be the number one thing I think you'll always hear. What are you going to do about socialization and what do you think about that? I would actually lie if I didn't worry about it just because when I decided to choose to homeschool, it was with my youngest child, and there's a nine-year separation between her and the next child in our family, and so she's the only one at home, and so it's not like she has siblings that she can socialize with. It's just me and her during the day, so of course, I was worried, hey, I'm taking her out of the environment where she's with a bunch of children her age, and I'm bringing her home by herself. That was quickly put away because as soon as I arrived here, I took your advice in Texas and found a good homeschool group, which there are plenty of, and became involved in that. And she has a full schedule of activities with (laughs) groups of children. I just came back today from a park day that we have every Friday where they play two and a half hours together. 
Um, we go on field trips together with this group. I have next, in fact, Monday, we're going to a play down in Austin with our school group. And then as we make friends with different homeschool families, we have play dates with them. And so lots of socialization, not to mention just the neighborhood kids and those types of things. So there's lots of interaction she has with kids her own age. But I also realize that socialization, sometimes we forget about the fact that being around grownups or even being around me, I mean, I'm yeah. not... I'm not, I'm not a perfect example in a lot of things, but how I interact with adults, how I interact with other people, she's watching that. My homeschooling friends and I always joke whenever we're someplace and somebody's like, wow, I've never seen so many well-mannered children. And we're always like, that's because they're over-mothered. <laughs> you know, they, they, they are. They see how we interact with people and mothers mentor. And even if your children aren't at home, you know, I remember there being weird kids in public school. But when I met their parents, it made total sense because they behaved and approached things like their parents, I mean, socially. So what has been the biggest obstacle since you started homeschooling? I think um, I just remember having, when I first started homeschooling, just having a week where I had tried to study as much as I could about all of the things that I would need to teach Avery Elson. And I realized I was responsible for every part of her education, math, language, reading, spelling, history, science, everything. And I, I just remember feeling overwhelming. <laughs> it was very overwhelming. It was very overwhelming because I'd always had great awesome teachers that I had sent her them off to school to teach them those things. And so I never worried about whether there was going to be a gap or something in their education. And also it was all on me. And I just remember that was very overwhelming to me. Also, there's so many resources out there, which is a blessing, but it can be a curse at the same time because it's overwhelming. And as a result, can be intimidating. And you're wondering, am I choosing the right thing? Is this going to work? And that type of thing. But, you know, you just go forward, even though you might have your doubts, and you just keep going, and you see the results, and you fine-tune things. That's the other thing. Nothing is set in stone when you homeschool, if you see something not working. It's interesting when you're in a big public school or even in a charter school. If something's not working in the classroom, it takes a lot of work to get that to be changed. You have to go through board approval and all that to change the curriculum. When you're homeschooling, you can just say, this isn't working. I've got to find something yeah, else. But it can be changed the next day. day. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so with that obstacle, it sounds like you've learned quite a bit. Do you want to share with us what you've learned from that? I think that I've just learned to be in tune with what my child's learning and whether it's a positive thing um, rather than trying to say, hey, these people said this curriculum is really great. I'm going to try it and then to see it's not working with my child. But, hey, it, it, they said it's great, so I'm going to just keep trying to push this, realizing that, hey, this isn't working for my child and, and changing it. And, it's and putting actually, her needs before. Right, putting yeah. her needs before the curriculum. Other people might think, I guess, of that curriculum. It's also helped me to just explore different methods that people use. The homeschool group that I'm part of now, no one uses that I know of the same method. Everybody's using different curriculum, all of us. Because I get to hear their successes with what they use and sometimes what doesn't work for them. So I've learned a lot as far as it comes to curriculum. I love that, that you've learned to put, you know, your child's needs versus the fact that you're going to get through whatever curriculum. I mean, no matter how wonderful it is, if it's not working for her, then it's not working. <laughs> so exactly. before we take our break, how do you combat your discouraging bad days? You know, I guess I just feel like tomorrow's always a new day. <laughs> I, I, I know that sounds simple, but if it's really a bad day, just talk it up to this is a bad day, and tomorrow's going to be better. We're going to try better. It's going to get better. 
And inevitably it does. I, I've yet to find that I have had my bad days go on for very long. So I just, just work through them. Even if you're in a traditional public school setting, there's bad days there too. So you just, Yeah, I mean, you teachers just, have bad days, so <laughs> parents have bad days. <laughs> I have days. a bad day. Sometimes, sometimes I can just see that she's not interested in learning today. So I'll, I'll still make her do it because she needs to learn to do things even if she doesn't feel like doing them. But at the same time, you know, I think you don't easy. get too stressed yeah. about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So we're going to take a break and we'll come back and talk about some successes that you've seen. Thank you. If you would like to see your business grow, then contact us at The Luminous Mind for advertising space on theluminousmind.net or on the podcast, The Luminous Mind Podcast. Back with Chris. Chris, with your homeschooling, I mean, you haven't been doing it extremely long, but what kind of successes have you seen and positives that you've seen in in homeschooling? Well, I just love the flexibility of it. I love the fact that if you are having a bad day, you can work around that. I like the fact that I I know what my child's learning all the time because I'm, I'm the one teaching it. I love learning new things again. I mean, I, she's in second grade right now, and I've gone through second grade, but it's been a long time. And it's fun to kind of go back and learn all that stuff brand new again and to realize this is the first time she's learning it, and I get to see that happen. And so I've really well, enjoyed really that exciting. aspect of it. Yeah, to be able to – it's kind of like, you know, if you missed your child's first steps of walking, how disappointing would that be? And so to see some of those milestones, that is a fun thing to think of. So. And she, she surprises me every day. I mean, I'll think she's not understanding something, and then she'll do something, and I realize, oh, she did she did get that. She understands it. And you can't help but have a little bit of happiness come from that. Yeah, and maybe that's where the testing, I mean, if you're testing her, I've seen that before when my kids are taking an assessment. I'm like, they're not getting this, but then they bring it up later. <laughs> maybe that's where the testing wouldn't work. Right. <laughs> Anyway, so share with us maybe some personal habits that's helped make you successful in homeschooling or just in your daily life. I think routine is important. I have always found that, I'm trying to think of how to word this, just that if you go with how you feel all the time, (laughs) there'll be days and weeks, like you said, like I said, that you don't feel like doing school, but just having that routine and that consistency for myself as well as for my child, that brings a lot of comfort and helps her know what to expect every day and it makes it easier they just get up and do it eventually they they know every day this is what we're going to do and that routine has really helped a lot just to have that there I'm trying to think of other just making sure that I study and I try to put time into my lessons before I ever teach them and making sure that I'm ready to teach that and I understand that concept before I go and try to teach it so I always try to make sure I have a little bit of time for myself to prepare myself for those upcoming lessons and just to do my own personal enrichment, my own. Yeah. Sometimes as parents, we forget how important that mentoring is. And if they're watching you learn and take time to learn new concepts for yourself, then they'll be more likely to do that for themselves eventually. So we talked about some of the benefits of like seeing her do some activities for the first time and some flexibility, but do you have any other benefits that you've seen with your family for homeschooling? 
the stress level in our home seems to have gone down. I just remember always rushing around. We have to be here. We have to get out the door. You know, just all that stress that happens, especially in the morning. My daughter's not a morning person. Neither is my son, for that matter, but he needs to be at school. (laughs) And so, (laughs) seriously, we have a flurry of trying to get him out the door. And then we, once he's gone, we kind of look at each other and like, okay, now we can calm down and de-stress and start our school day. I do know that part. I I hear the horrible words that you speak to each other as you're trying to rush out the door. I'm like, well, we may we may say horrible things, but it's not because we're rushing out the door. There's no stress about that. So any other things that you well, just yeah, not trying to fit into somebody else's schedule has been a real blessing that I think that we've experienced and not having that stress level and just I like trying to involve my son as well as my husband in Avery's education just because they, I think it's funny because my son, who is a 17-year-old and is in a traditional public school, he's actually my biggest homeschool champion because whenever he hears Avery complaining at all, he will say, oh, you don't know how good you have it. And he'll (laughs) he'll tell her all the things that he has to face in a traditional public school setting and how lucky she is to be homeschooled. And so I think it's kind of funny for him to reinforce that. And then I know he's actually learned some of these things, so I'll actually have him help me out with some of her stuff just so she can hear it from somebody else instead of just me all the time. So well, and that's probably have, good for him, too, yeah. because it helps his retention and his teaching skills develop. Exactly. So he was taught the same language arts program that I'm currently using with her in the charter school that he was part of, so... I have him help me with the little jingles. He actually remembers them, and he does a good job with her on those. And and my husband, who is the artistic one in our family, he's in charge of the art lessons, and we have an art program. We do have a a program we use. But it's time for him and her to be together to have their art lesson. What an awesome art teacher to have your dad. Yeah. That's the person who helps you with that. So, and um, he's an amazing artist. I should. <laughs> so is having your whole family involved, do you think that's created a closeness? And yeah. To be able to oh, do def- definitely. And it's kind of funny because when when your kids go out traditional public school or even a charter school to learn, your whole family separates for the day. You know, dad goes to work, mom goes to work or stays home and does her work there or and your children are all spread apart and so you don't have a lot of time together but when you homeschool you have time to be together and that you just typically wouldn't have if you weren't homeschooling. So definitely a benefit to be able to spend lots of time together. So kind of keeping with that same theme what is the one thing you're doing as a family that most excites you and maybe give us some long-term family goals or goals for yourself even? You know, I'm just excited to start this new adventure of homeschooling, and I just, I'm excited to see how it unfolds. I'm actually excited to see the homeschool group that I'm a part of. The children are are all early elementary age kids, and so it'll be interesting to see that dynamic change as they all age and grow up into being teenagers and to see what happens there, but I'm just kind of excited to see this whole process unfold. Like I said, I'm just at the beginning of it, and I know that there's going to be a lot of lessons to come along the way, but I think I just think of the potential. I see great things ahead that as far as opportunities to learn, and I'm just excited to explore those and to see Avery grow and develop. And our, as far as our family goes, my two oldest children are pretty much 
done with what you would call formal education. I, they'll go on to college and those types of things. But I want them to always be lifelong learners. I always want them to have that desire to learn and to grow. And so those are things I look forward to. That's a good long-term goal, to be a lifelong learner. That will improve their lives forever. So what advice or encouragement would you give somebody just starting out? I mean, would you tell them to head to a charter school? What would your advice be? I say you need to really think about what you want for your family. And I've been a part of every educational method out there, I think. <laughs> um, my daughter, even my, oldest, even my oldest daughter was an online charter school student for her freshman year well, of high school. I so. used I used to tease her because she said she didn't necessarily like doing that. And then when she went to the charter school, she was so far ahead that she did a bunch of classes online. So I'm like, oh, so you'll do it out of school. But <laughs> That's true. Anyway. It's kind of funny. As far as advice that I'd give to people, you'd have to kind of look at your own family and see what your needs are. Could be, don't ever think, oh, I could never do that or I would never do that because oh, I love that um, advice. Because if you, if you shut your mind off to that, you could be missing out on great possibilities and opportunities just because you decided, oh, I'm not going to do that, even though it might be the best thing for your family. Oh, I love that. That is a great bit of piece of advice is not to discount yourself. Now, what about a favorite book or resource that you maybe would want to share with them, especially with homeschooling? As far as the resource, I've actually used the classical here nearby, but it's by Susan Wise, and it's called Classical Education, or the Education for a Classical Child, or something like that. I'm sorry, I don't have that exact verse there, but um, name of the book, but that's a resource that I've used. It was given, it was recommended to me when I started out in this venue of homeschooling, and I liked it because it helped me. She goes through and talks about different grade levels, what they should, you know, kind of things that they should be learning at this age. Then she went and looked at different curriculum and just gave recommendations, and so it just helped. It was kind of that springboard it didn't. I didn't follow everything that it said per se, but it was just that springboard into help to launch me into the homeschooling and to maybe get over to your give fears. Me a starting that place. You're, right. Yeah, to that give me a you're you, place. you're filling in all the holes and all that. Exactly. That's great. So our big question is um, the one that I love to hear is how would you like to see the world change in the future? What would really make you excited to see? happen? You know, we were just talking about this at our homeschool group <laughs> with the moms, <laughs> which I have to just put a plug in here. I think the homeschool groups are, are sometimes more for the moms than the kids. Yeah. I mean, um, we talked about the kids needing socialization, but I think the moms need socialization too. So and that's um, anyway, what we're we always didn't. The luminous mind will do is that it will be that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And just to bounce ideas off each other. But with that being said, we were just talking about how the world is becoming more and more custom, more and more individualized. And I was, we were joking about how now we have TVs that we can just watch whatever show whenever we want. You know, we don't have to worry about commercials or anything like that. And or back when we were children, <laughs> exactly. Or back when we were children, we would have to, you know, wait for the commercial before you could go do anything or. If you want to talk to your parents, they'd be like, be quiet, my show's on, or we'd have to be home exactly at 7 o'clock on Thursday if we wanted to see that show. I've just seen that our world is becoming more and more individualized, and I would like to see that happen in the education movement, too. I think that we have an opportunity here, because of all the technology and all the things that are changing in our world, to really have custom education for our children, and that's something that we just never really had the ability to do in the past. 
I would like to think that education, the education movement as a whole, will follow that trend instead of trying to make it more common, if you will, <laughs> or make yeah. it all the same or more standardized. Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So trying to make it more standardized that we actually use the resources that we have now and try to make it more customized. Because we do it in every area of our life. Um, why not education? Yeah, and that's the, one of the things that's so funny about the new Common Core standards is that I mean, why are we moving that direction when the world is becoming more individualized? It doesn't make any sense. So is there any parting words of advice? I mean, we kind of talked about advice you'd give somebody starting out, but maybe a favorite quote or something that you'd like to share. Just believe in yourself. You're going to have doubts. Those are going to happen. But just trust yourself. Trust trust that you know what's best for your family. Everyone doubts what they're doing. And if uh, you're feeling led to go in a certain direction, is that what you're saying? Is just believe exactly. that that's what yeah. you're meant to do. Just have faith in yourself. You, you love your kids more than anything. And just trust that you're going to do what's best for them. Have confidence in yourself. Don't think, I can't do this. You can. You can. You really can. If you feel like you can't, then talk to people who do. You know, surround yourself with people that are doing what you want to do. And, and I say that with the homeschool movement. If you feel like you can't do it, surround yourself with homeschoolers and who are doing it and who are successful and that you'll be able to, you know, learn from them and be able to build that support group and you'll suddenly find yourself doing this very thing that you thought you couldn't do. Use the resources that you can find, definitely, and use the community around you. So thanks so much for sharing that. It was a really great interview. I always love talking to my sister anyway, <laughs> but it's really fun when we talk about education. We need more fire starters. To join us, go to our website, theluminousmind.net, and click on the fire tab. You'll be able to schedule an appointment today. Also, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Google+, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Help us light minds on fire and change the paradigm of education.